What is up? Welcome to the first episode, the first show, Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. This is a new thing you're hearing at three o'clock on your drive. If you're listening in the car, if you're listening on the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, yes, Kipper and Bourne have moved to 9 to 10 a.m. Now that it's Leafs off season, uh, still lots to talk about. Of course, our guy, Jason Spezza, retiring. Russell Martin also retiring. We're going to talk about Russell Martin a little bit today. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy. You might have heard me before on the Fan Morning Show, 6 to 10 a.m. Uh, for the last eight months. I'm still on there. Uh, once a day at least in the Wake and Rake segment with J.D. Bunkus and Ailish Forfar uh, at 8.30 a.m. And I'll be joining them to talk Jays, to talk Raptors, to talk NBA uh, fairly often still. I uh, hope you're continuing to tune in there and subscribing to that podcast. But yes, I have uh, a Jays show now called Jays Talk Plus. Um, we still have Blair and Barker 10 to 12. We still have Jays pregame, Jays postgame. But uh, we're going to do a little two-hour show every weekday. Some of you might also know me as a Raptors guy. Most of my career has been on the Raptors. But for a little background... I'm a baseball guy too. Uh, you can go find some analysis that holds up well or less well at Fangraphs and Rotographs and Beyond the Box Score. Um, the last thing I wrote for Fangraphs was uh, about Chris Colabello right before he got popped for suspension. So that one maybe didn't uh, didn't hold up uh, super well. Uh, also went through some of my old Rotographs pieces the other day, and I like tripled down on Sergio Santos figuring it out as a closer for the Blue Jays year after year. Not my best pick, but there's some good ones in there. There's some good ones in there, I hope. Um, and then also the Fan Morning Show, you, you've heard me talk baseball as well. I'm really excited for this. I'm really excited to get going. I'm very thankful and excited that the Blue Jays win five in a row leading into this. And look, you win five in a row, you get a you get a plus radio show, Jays Talk Plus. So kind of going to let you guys feel out what this show is going to be. But I, I think if you know me, you'll know it, it'll be a little more analytic leaning, maybe focus a little bit more on the culture and community around the team. Uh, we're going to have a ton of guests. We've got Ben Shulman on today. We've got Ben Nicholson Smith on today. We've got Steve Sladkowski from uh, local punk band, pup the band. He also created that entrance music for us. So thank you to Steve for that. Uh, we have a loaded schedule for the week as well. Tomorrow we're going to have, uh, four guests. We're going to have a lot of guests on Wednesday as well, including Keith Law to talk some of these uh, hot and rising Toronto Blue Jays prospects. Uh, Thursday, we'll do just a one-hour pregame because the Jays have an afternoon game down at Rogers Center. No game tonight. So we get to spend the day kind of resetting from five wins in a row and a monster weekend, 4-3, uh, 6-5, and 11-10. to 10 victories against the Los Angeles Angels. It is five in a row. It's seven of their last 10. It's nine of their last 12. And of course, the Jays special this season, winning three consecutive one-run games. Uh, the Sunday one, uh, a real sweat, a real back and forth, a uh, heck of a job by everyone there uh, to squeak out those three, especially Saturday, Sunday with the bullpen. Uh, not as healthy, not as rested, and, and not as strong as you might hope. The bat's getting going a little bit. Also going to take a lot of your questions, a lot of your comments. You can text 590-590 anytime during the show from 3 to 5. You can always tweet me or DM me. I'll save them in a, in a big doc somewhere, and we'll get to them uh, wherever we see fit. We'll be, we'll be doing regular mailbag segments and stuff like that, too. Before we get into the first episode of Jay's Talk Plus proper, though, I have a little bit of a beef with my old pals at the Fan Morning Show. So today is my first day not on the morning show. Uh, I was on 8.30 to 9, but they go ahead and book someone who is probably 
top three, if not top two, favorite Blue Jays of all time. They had Russell Martin on the show this morning, and he was terrific. I uh, strongly recommend you go check out the Fan Morning Show's uh, Hour 3, wherever you get your podcasts. A great conversation with Russell Martin, who, again, retired officially on the weekend. Um, so good insight into how maybe the pandemic changed what the end of his career would have looked like or the start of uh, a hypothetical managing career that he's not really interested in right now, more interested in launching his uh, his um, alcoholic beverages like uh, like our pal Kipper uh, has as well, uh, Big Buddha versus uh, the Russell Martin mixed drink uh, cans uh, all summer. But Russell Martin retiring was a fun cause to kind of look back and think back to that 2015-2016 era of the Blue Jays, which... I'd imagine some of you who are listening, um, maybe you tuned back in after tuning out a little bit over those lean years between the 92-93 team uh, and the 2015-2016 playoff runs. Uh, Maybe it re-sparked your interest. Maybe you were a new fan that came to the team in those years. Maybe you were hardcore who was just super excited to have lots and lots of transactions to look forward to um, and and to celebrate with friends and kind of go through all the roster machinations. It was a really fun offseason that year it was really fun kind of 10 days in november where um november 17th the reports come out that the jays are going to sign russell martin and it's like holy cow not only is that russell martin he's one of the best canadian players in the league he's one of the best catchers in the league but also it was kind of a signal that hey yeah the the mets and marlins trades didn't really work out quite the deg- to the degree that you wanted a couple years prior but this team was still in a window and they were attacking it and they signed russell martin shortly after they trade for josh donaldson Obviously, during the year, there's the David Price, there's the Troy Tulowitzki. There's a lot of fun stuff throughout those two years. And Russell Martin was kind of the signpost that, hey, they're pushing the chips in. This is going to be an exciting run. Obviously, he stayed with the team beyond 2016 as well. We're going to do some uh, Blue Jays catcher trivia with Steve Sladkowski at the end of the show. Um, So stick around for that and start thinking of Blue Jays catchers of recent lore. But Russell Martin's career with the Blue Jays was... A pretty impressive one. And obviously there there are a number of kind of ancillary things that Russell Martin had as a Blue Jay. Obviously he's Canadian. Obviously he was very well liked for, um, you know, a lot of reasons, a great smile, a great interview, by all accounts, a great guy in the locker room. I remember having uh, a meme format with some of Jay's Twitter at the time of just like exaggerative jokes about how good a teammate and how good a friend Russell Martin is uh, in everyday situations, let alone baseball situations. Um, 2015, he makes the all-star game. He hits 23 home runs. He has an OPS of almost 800 with very good defense at the catcher position. He ends up playing four years for the Jays. Uh, OPS is 735, which is almost exactly league average. He did the very cool thing of having a WRC plus of uh, exactly 100, almost two years in a row. And, um, once in Pittsburgh as well. He just 100, 100, 100. And hey, if your catcher's hitting at a league average rate and providing plus defense and plus game calling, you're in pretty good shape. We also got the Russell Martin uh, playing a couple different positions late in years when it didn't really matter as much. He manages a game and has his feet up on John Gibbons' desk. Uh, a lot of fun stuff from the Russell Martin era. Uh, my favorite off-field Russell Martin thing was uh, 2016 is the only time I've gone down to cover spring training before. Uh, I did a little bit, actually Caleb Joseph, who's been doing some uh, Sportsnet stuff on 590, the radio network, as well as uh, Sportsnet television. Uh, And he's got some coming up this weekend as well. Um, I actually met him down there when I was doing a story on Dylan Bundy, and they were both with the Orioles at the time. Um, But I also did uh, 
the aforementioned Chris Colabello piece for Fangraphs uh, while I was down there. And I also got to talk to Russell Martin. It's the only time um, that I, I think it's one of two times that I've interviewed him. I interviewed him once when he was in Toronto as well. And I was doing a story on uh, Luke Maley at the time, which, yeah, I have a thing for backcatchers, uh, especially backup backcatchers. But I talked to Russell Martin about beard oil and, and what our approaches to our beards was, which was a little strange. Uh, and he, you know, I'm I'm shopping in the, the cheaper stuff. And he's using Tom Ford beard oil. It's a man who takes care of uh, takes care of his beard. So the fan morning show to stab me on my way out has Russell Martin on the show this morning. Really, really great. Yeah. I think it was like 18 minutes long the entire interview um great insight from russell martin about a lot of things about his career reflecting back on the bat flip um, reflecting back on the 2015 and 2016 run in general um, but one of the things that jd and alish asked russell martin that i think has a lot of application to the current blue jays because alejandro kirk is suddenly hitting again danny jansen when he hasn't been on the il has been a monster since the you know, the end of August last season, uh, Gabriel Moreno is hitting the ball extremely well at AAA now after a, a little bit of a cold start. And we're going to, we're going to dig into that element with Ben Nicholson Smith at four o'clock. But with all these catchers coming up, there's going to be a focus of course on not only which two are staying, but who is managing the pitchers the best? Who can help get the most out of these pitchers? We've seen, hey, Ryu's going to throw to Jansen a lot of time when Jansen's healthy. Um, Barrios is struggling a little bit right now. Is that a, ta- uh, a mechanical issue? Is that an approach issue? Is there something the catcher can be doing more to help him win? Obviously, Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa are just fine with who they're throwing to. So J.D. and Alish asked Russell Martin, like, at what point do you know you're a good game caller as a catcher? And what goes into that? And I think it's a helpful answer for Jays fans to listen to as they watch Kirk and Jansen and Mourinho continue to grow. And uh, hey, if the team ever needs, I know they have John Schneider around, but if they ever need uh, just a catching consultant, this answer from Russell Martin is a pretty good uh, resume clip. The number one thing is I'm super competitive and anything that I do, you know, I'll try my best to win. And, And if I'm playing a team game, then you know, it's it's team first. So so just that is like the the the, the probably the most important thing. You, you can't be selfish, and you know, and be a good game caller. You can't be selfish and and be, and be a good catcher because you know the the pitcher is definitely the guy that's the most important guy on the team. He he's the one that is gonna give you a chance to win that game. And I'm kind of just there as somebody that that gives suggestions. And I never felt. You know, because there's there's all different types of pitchers and they all have different personalities, and and you kind of have to just like blend with that guy and, and create you know the, the, the some some trust, and so you got to spend time with him, and you have to have an understanding of of you know what makes him tick and 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 what works, you know, and and then you you go and you compete, and 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 then you have to adjust on the fly. It's just like a game of adjustments. There's days where they have a pitch that isn't working as well. So, so in theory, you could be like, well, this guy's going to, we'll, we'll be able to get this guy out with his changeup. But if that, if that day he's not, he's not able to throw a good changeup, you know, you have to, you know, you have to be able to, to, to have, make some audibles and, and, and go a different route. And, and, and just, so you have to be willing to be creative. And, um, and that's, for me, that's kind of the way I treated it. You know, there, there's, there's nowadays, there's a lot of analytics and, and you can, you know, you can build a game plan and, and, and you can, 
on paper, you, you know exactly, you know, this guy slugs, his lowest slugging is, is up and in on fastballs, and, and, you know, he covers the ball down better than he does the ball up, so we can attack this guy up in the zone. Um, but it's all about the pitcher, you know. So, so the, does your pitcher have the ability to do those things, and is he able to do it today? And and so that's that's what's going on in my mind as I'm catching. It's just like quick decisions and 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 trying to set hitters up, and and um and there's just so much involved, and and you kind of just have to have feel, um you know that there's not just one way to call a game, and there's not just one one right pitch, um and. I think the most important thing is, is just to have your pitcher throwing pitches with conviction, you know, pitch after pitch. And I think that's what I was good at. I was good at having guys wanting to compete and just wanting to win and just kind of like will their way in, into success. And um, <clears throat> I think that's like something that's a little bit overlooked. You know, people look at numbers and stats and, and velocity and all that stuff and all that stuff's important. But at the end of the day, you have to compete and you have to, you kind of just have to will your 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 way in, in, into victory. Again, that was Russell Martin talking to the Fan Morning Show. This morning, you can check out the entire interview wherever you get your podcast, the Fan Morning Show. Great interview there uh, from J.D. Bunkus and Ailish Forfar with Martin. Uh, some lessons in there for Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and later Gabriel Moreno. Um, depending on how much you believe in that ability to take some of the intangible stuff that Russell Martin's talking about there and apply it. Can you learn by hearing stuff like that, by talking to other catchers, by having a relationship with your pitchers, or is it something that you just have to be behind the plate for a lot of baseball to learn? Obviously something like pitch framing is something we've seen the Toronto Blue Jays work on with Alejandro Kirk, and he's improved a lot statistically in terms of his ability to nudge strikes at the bottom of the zone. Danny Jansen got rave reviews coming up through the as he continued to ascend through the minors. Um, his defense kept improving, and his defense kept improving, and the game calling was a part of that. Gabriel Moreno, one of the talking points in spring training, was that he got there late due to visa issues, um, and he didn't get a ton of time to catch Toronto Blue Jays starters. So he's in AAA now, learning one crop of starters, and then he will eventually this year or in a future year or for another team, who knows, uh, come up and have to catch a whole new crop of starters. And so it's interesting to hear Russell Martin describe it as something kind of you can feel developing, but you know it when it's there and you just kind of have to feel it out. I think yesterday's game is an interesting talking point around that because Jose Barrios does not have a good game. He doesn't get out of the third inning. It's the second time this year that that's happened, and he hasn't done that since 2017. So we're going to talk with Ben Nicholson-Smith later. Uh, we're going to dive deep into some of Brios' struggles, but a little background on, on what's going wrong here as trouble snowballs once again Sunday. His velocity was down almost two miles an hour on his fastball in that game, and Brios' fastball is the key to what he's doing up there because historically when his fastball plays well, his curveball and changeup can get a lot of swing and misses when his fastball isn't playing well, when he's having trouble locating it, you know, his fastball has never really been his out pitch. It's the setup pitch for the other two. And when the velocity is off of it, when you're not commanding it nearly as well, it's harder for those, that curveball and that changeup is two best pitches to play off of that. There's not as much deception. It's easier for a hitter to just wait and sit on that fastball or jump on one early so far this year, 
He's giving up a 638 slugging on his fastball, and the batted ball data uh, more than backs that up. He has, if you remember Aaron Sanchez's time as a Blue Jay, well, he's had a stint, you know, he's bounced around a couple places, and he's, he's with Washington now this year. He is the only pitcher in baseball allowing a higher average exit velocity than Jose Brios among qualified pitchers. So uh, that should tell you plenty. Within that, Brios's command issues have not been, hey, I'm going to walk a ton of guys necessarily. He's still thrown a lot in the zone. It's that there's not enough burst to the fastball and there's not enough deception for the other pitchers trying to play off of it to miss bats. Almost 90% of swings at pitches in the zone are making contact against Barrios this year. Um, that gets much, much worse when you look at the platoon splits where, yeah, Barrios has been hard on righties at times, but lefties have hit him better than maybe any other pitcher in baseball in terms of exit velocity and slugging. So there's a lot to pick at there with Jose Barrios, and, and that can go two ways, right? You can look at, hey, there's a lot going wrong. That's big trouble. Or... You could take the more positive approach and, hey, there's a lot of little things you could tweak or you could nudge in the right direction and then things suddenly start to piece together a little better. And, and we've seen that with Jose Brios earlier in the year where he, he did have a couple good starts in a row. Um, you know, some of those starts he was still dancing in and out of trouble, um, getting some sequencing misfortune or, or getting some batted ball fortune, honestly, because he he's given up hard contact even in the, the starts he's pitched well. So there's a lot to sift through there. We're going to sift through some of it with Ben Nicholson-Smith at 4 o'clock. We're going to sift through a lot more of it uh, with Chris Black tomorrow, who had a great thread on Barrios' struggles at Down to Black on Twitter. Um, let's not be too negative, though. It's a debut episode. We celebrated Russell Martin a little bit. The Toronto Blue Jays have won five in a row. So let's go through some of what's working here. The bats are alive. The Angels come into this series as the number two offense in baseball and the Jays don't have the best of series from their pitching staff and their bullpen and they sweep it again it's seven of the last 10 it's nine of the last 12 that Cincinnati Red series they won some games without the bats really coming alive but more often than not lately they they've been getting there you had that eight run outburst against St. Louis Ben Nicholson Smith had a great piece at sportsnet.ca about how hey Everyone on the team kind of felt a weight come off. They needed a game like that where a lot of guys get hits. There were even, you know, you could have been negative about those first two uh, games of the winning streak because the the stats with runners in scoring position still weren't there. It felt like there was a lot of stuff uh, still left kind of on the vine there. But, hey, it's rolled over, and the Jays score 8, 6, 4, 6, and 11 runs over this five-game winning streak. Yes, it's uh, arbitrary endpoints, and it's a, a small window, but 287 batting average, 366 on base percentage, and 462 slugging over that five-game stretch. They've done better with runners in scoring position, including walking three times with the bases loaded on the weekend, which is, uh, hey, if relievers are just going to give you free passes for runs and, and your offense has been sputtering a little bit, those freebies probably help take a weight off as well. And it's a signal of something the Jays have done a better job of of late. And when the bats were struggling, we talked a good amount about the team's approach at the plate. They're a very aggressive team. You don't want a Bo Bichette to necessarily lose that aggression. You, you, you hope he is more selectively aggressive, focus in on his own, focus in on a pitch type, 
things like that. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., same thing. He's swinging out a lot of stuff that's low in a way that, yes, a, a hitter is talented and who can reach his bat to as much stuff as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can, can poke that stuff into right field for a single. He can get a bat on it, but his swing rate on low and away pitches during that 15 game or so slump was very high, even by his standards. And one of the ways he has started to turn that around, we had a great chat on the fan morning show last week with Carlos Pena of MLB network, kind of going into some of Vlad's swing mechanics and what's going on when he's reaching low and away versus when he can wait on stuff high in the zone. Uh, And you've seen a pretty dramatic turn in that. And it's, it's not been just Vlad and Bo, um, but because those guys have had slumps at times this year, it has stood out. George Springer's had a nice approach as well. I mentioned earlier, Alejandro Kirk's OBP is up to 370 now. And yeah, he has about as many extra base hits this year as I do. He's uh, reached on error a couple times. He's got some weird infield singles, but Alejandro Kirk's approach at the plate was always one of the ones that you'd point to and say, hey, the struggling Jays, you could take something from this. Even though Alejandro Kirk's not hitting that well in April, well, he's not striking out. He's having long and competitive plate appearances. Uh, he's making pitchers work. And, and, you know, the swings and the takes, you you acknowledge and appreciate in the moment. That's something that's trended in the right way. Matt Chapman, you know, the results haven't come around for him, but he's seen the highest number of pitches per plate appearance on the team. Uh, his approach is still been there he's just having a little trouble driving stuff for power and getting stuff into the field of play we'll dive into chapman a little bit more later in the week um see if we can kind of find what might help him round out of this but as a whole the jays have walked in over 11 percent of their plate appearances during this five game win streak and i think that's got to be instructive for them as they move forward this this team personnel wise and with what their best hitters look like when they're hot is probably never going to lead the league in walks or, or be in the top five. But this hammers home that you can be more selective than you were. And one of the ways to get better pitches to hit or, or get the bats going when things aren't working is to take a step back, take a deep breath, and focus in on stuff you think you can do a lot with instead of settling for stuff you can't do much with. It's the old, hey, passing on something you can hit for something you can drive. And I I think the Jays did a really great job of that against the Los Angeles Angels. Obviously, the results are there. (laughs) 11 uh, runs on Sunday and five wins in a row. There are a couple smaller things throughout the weekend as well that we can uh, touch on throughout the day. You can continue to send your text to 590-590 or tweet at me if you have any questions. Again, we have Ben Shulman coming up at 3.30. He did an excellent job on the radio broadcast alongside Ben Nicholson-Smith on the weekend on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, We have Ben Nicholson-Smith also coming on at 4 o'clock. We'll try to get some updates on a few Blue Jays who have minor injuries right now, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who did not start yesterday due to a sore wrist. Uh, Danny Jansen, Teoscar Hernandez dealing with what we think are minor hip injuries. And, hey, that bullpen was pretty heavily worked the last couple days. Um, Six different arms use Sunday, six different arms use Saturday and some high leverage stuff on Thursday and Friday as well. So um, get a feel from Ben Nicholson Smith at four o'clock as to what the bullpen looks like right now. Do they maybe send someone down to get a fresh arm up in the coming days? And of course, we're going to ask Ben Nicholson Smith about everyone's favorite topic, uh, Moreno's status with AAA. And hey, with Kirk and Jansen hitting as well as they are now and the defense improving, is this a team that could nudge toward 
having three catchers and not three catchers in the way they had three catchers earlier in the year, where Zach Collins was a DH slash pinch hitter and you forgot Tyler Heineman was on the roster until the Pittsburgh Pirates claimed him. Could you work three catchers in regularly enough to not hurt the development of these guys? Is one of them, you know, potentially a, a trade candidate with all three playing so well and the value on young catchers who can defend and hit so high around baseball. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson Smith about that again at four o'clock. We'll talk to Ben Schulman at 3.30 and my good pal Steve Sadkowski from Pup the Band at 4.30. Uh, we'll talk to him about not only his new album and making that entrance music for us we played we were played in with today, uh, but also a former Blue Jay. Hooked him up, hooked the band up with some customized jerseys recently, and they're about to head out on the road. And his stories of, well, our, our friendship is basically, hey, him trying to keep up with Toronto sports while they're bouncing all over the place. His dad also has just a remarkable conspiracy theory about the Blue Jays this year. We'll get into that as well at 4.30. Uh, this has been the, the very first segment of Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Let's take a break. When we come back, play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays on the Sportsnet Radio Network for the weekend, Ben Schulman. We'll talk to him about how that was, uh, how he felt about his first weekend, if his father, Dan Schulman, was extra critical or extra supportive. And, uh, hey, Maybe we'll throw out the names Ripken Reyes and Jackson Wolf, and we'll play a little Am I Making This Guy's Name Up, or is this actually a guy for the single-A Fort Wayne Tin Caps? Uh, that's next with Ben Schulman on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon. It's Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. This is the first day. Hopefully you're enjoying it so far. Uh, we got a couple good guests coming up. Ben Schulman, Ben Nicholson, Steve Slatkowski of Pup the Band. Uh, describe what this show is going to be a little bit in that first block. It's also going to have uh, beats like something with my daddy coming in when, uh, when you have a very famous son on the air. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't love that being highlighted, uh, but we'll talk to him and, and see about that. Uh, in just a little bit here, he Ben Schulman did play-by-play on the Sportsnet Radio Network for the Jays Angels series over the weekend. He got some awesome, awesome games to get his feet wet, including the chance to call on Saturday night Ross Stripling with a big strikeout, closing in place of the closer, Jordan Romano needing a hook in that one. Uh, this was Ben's call on the game-winning strikeout on Saturday. He's agreed to a do-it-all roll, and this is the biggest call he's gotten all year. The 0-2. Chopper up the first baseline. Stripling gloves. Tags Velasquez. That's the ball game. Ear-to-ear smile for Ross Stripling. His first save in two years, and the Jays win their fourth in a row in a nail-biter. That was Ben Schulman calling uh, Ross Stripling. Coming in to get the one out, I don't know why in my head I thought it was a, a strikeout or I remembered it as a strikeout, but it was a ground out. That's okay. That's okay. Ross Stripling comes in. His first save in forever. I mean, I was actually a little surprised to hear that stat because I would have figured Stripling had one of those uh, come into a blowout and get three innings of work kind of saves, uh, but turns out he hasn't. So that was a great call. He also got the call Vlad homering off Shohei Otani. He also got the call an incredible 11-10 to 10 game yesterday. Uh, joining us now play-by-play voice of the Jays over the weekend and full-time play-by-play voice of the single-A Fort Wayne Tin Caps uh, as well. It's Ben Schulman. Ben, how are you, man? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, debut of Jay's Talk Plus. You're the first ever guest. I hope you're. I hope you're honored. I'm flattered. I, I can't believe that uh, that you went for me with the first guest. I think uh, I think I've never been the first guest of a show before, so it's a first for me too. I've never had a show before and had a first guest, so we're we're tied <laughs> together historically now, uh, Ben. It's like it's like if a, a pitcher and catcher made their debuts at the same time, a debuting battery. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully we have some success here. So you call the Jays Angel series over the weekend. You you get the call up. All the way from single A, skips double A, skips triple A, all the way up to the majors uh, to fill in for Ben Wagner over the weekend. Uh, high level, like the wide part of the funnel. How was the experience? It, it was awesome. It, it was really a dream come true. And and you know, this is is what I I, I kind of tweeted out, but this is what I've been dreaming about since I was a kid. A lot of people, I think, stand in the backyard and you know they're thinking about being Jose Bautista or Vernon Wells or Delgado hitting a big home run. But I, I was just so bad at sports. So I really <laughs> knew that that wasn't going to be me. Uh, I was actually okay, but I wasn't nearly good enough uh, to go anywhere with it. So for me, this was kind of the moment that I was always envisioning. And, and you know, I'm just so grateful to the people at Sportsnet uh, for, for letting me come in for these four games. And Ben Wagner helped me out a lot in advance of it. And everyone – uh, that's, you know, was on the team with me, Ben Nicholson Smith and show Ali and Tom young and Jr. Everyone uh, was just so helpful. So it, it was an awesome experience. I'm glad to hear that, man. It's funny. You, you say it that way about as a kid, uh, my mom, when I first uh, kind of, so I little background on me, uh, my dad worked at a Toyota plant and you know, that's not necessarily the job that your kid that's like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing as my dad. And then I actually ended up working there for a little bit. Um, like I went to university, worked at the, at Toyota for a while and then was like, nah, I'm going to try sports. And then as I was kind of getting established, my mom dug up an old photo of me, like as a little kid playing road hockey, but instead of like playing, I'm interviewing my brothers who have hockey helmets on and stuff. So I feel you. And I was, you know, topped out as probably, okay to good at hockey. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious how early, like at what point were you like, okay, I I've gone from liking sports a lot and thinking my dad has a cool job to no, I legitimately am going to chase this. And this is what I want to do with my life. Well, I think there are multiple answers um, because the, the story that I don't totally remember myself, but have been retold um, is I know my, my, Grandma texted me uh, about I used to, you know, clip out some of the sports clippings in the papers uh, when we would be on like vacation in Florida because there'd be different kind of stuff in the paper down there than we would see. And, and so that was when I was like seven. And when I was eight years old, I asked my dad where the best broadcasters went to school. Uh, and he told me Syracuse was actually where I ended up going, which was uh, which was another dream come true for me, too. Um, and so it was always kind of in the back of my mind. But at the same time, it didn't fully, you know, it, I wanted to do it, but then I kind of went on and had the normal life of a kid and, and played sports. And like you, I was, you know, I, I was kind of like a, a lower end double A player and a maybe higher end single A hockey player in my prime. Um, and just, uh, you know, went on with it in the back of my head until I was about 15 or 16. Uh, and then I, you know, really wanted to start focusing on it and, you know, interned at a TV station in Richmond Hill that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and, you know, started broadcasting games for the Barry Baycats of the <laughs> Intercounty Baseball League. 
who were the six-time back-to-back champion, champions, I might add. Um, yeah, look, were, this, this is a this is there. a Kitchener Panthers show, <laughs> not a Barry Baycat show. Oh, really? I'm, I'm sorry. Wow. Okay, that's well. We might have something to talk about <laughs> later, but uh, but yeah, that was when I was 15 or 16. It really got serious, but it was kind of it was kind of always there, and and obviously my dad was a part of it. Um, but he kind of just I think was the spark and. And once I started watching games and paying attention to him, and when I was a kid, I started paying attention to everyone. And I started, you know, turning on the game sometimes on radio and listening to Jerry specifically do the Blue Jay games or, or seeking out other, you know, teams and other broadcasters that my dad told me I should listen to. So it just kind of all came together uh, really from the start. I don't actually remember the exact first time that I was really into it. I love doing that. I, I especially love it um, on NBA League Pass, you know, bouncing around to, to catch the different yeah. broadcasts. And obviously, we have a, a great situation here in Toronto with Matt Devlin and, and Leo Routens and, and Jack Armstrong and, and Alvin Williams and Amy Otterberg. And we we have a lot of great stuff here. But on a non-Raptors night, you get to flip around a little bit, hear a little Ian Eagle, hear a little Jim Peterson, pull a little from both of them uh, or whoever. Um, so that's great. So you did go to Syracuse. You end up going to Syracuse like you wanted to and like you asked your dad when you were a kid. Um, I have a question, though. You mostly you, you did a lot of basketball at Syracuse, and this has been a really rough era for Syracuse basketball producing NBA-level oh, no. talent. Um, Elijah Hughes, the only guy during your Syracuse tenure to get drafted. There's nobody in the top well, 100 this year, uh, at least according yeah. to Sam Fasini of The Athletic. We'll see who stays in and and who you know withdraws it and how that shakes up the rankings. But, man, what did you do to Syracuse basketball? Why, why such a, a lean time while you were there? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we had a sweet 16 run when uh, when I was in my junior year, my third year. Uh, Buddy Beheim was pretty good. You know, he's up yep. there with with one of the top scorers of all time. But it, it's a tough, you know, Atle- uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. You know, there were a lot of days in the Big East, and the Big East is a really good conference. But, you know, we're playing North Carolina and Duke and Louisville and Virginia and and, uh, you know, the ACC, even this year, when people thought they were bad, they clearly showed in the tournament as Duke and North Carolina played in the final four, that they were a much better conference than people gave them credit for. So, you know, I, I still think it's an adjustment period, but, you know, we got you know, Jeremy Grant's balling out. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that Michael Carter Williams was the rookie of the year. Uh, O'Shea Brissett spent his years with the Raptors and now he's, he's with the Pacers. Yeah. So. You never know. I, I saw um, Buddy Buddy hit six threes in like the G League showcase in one game. I, I think he's a guy that could end up being a pretty good NBA player. Some people like to compare him to Duncan Robinson, and I, I will say I don't know how many better pure shooters there were in the country than him. So yes, we didn't uh, we didn't bring home the national title for the first time since 2003. Uh, but I will say when you when you count out Syracuse, that's usually the time they go on a run. So people not looking at them right now, kind of like when they were an 11 seed in 2016 and made the final four 
you never know when when you aren't looking that's when they blow right by you O'Shea is a great comparison, not obviously stylistically, but in terms of path to Buddy Bayheim, because one of the reasons the Raptors liked O'Shea a lot that summer was how much he showed like improvement from pre-draft to that G League elite camp to um, later sessions in summer league and stuff like that. So there's a path there. And I don't know, maybe you just got to wash the Syracuse stink off a guy uh, before he's uh, NBA ready, you know, teach him man to man defense instead of his own D instead of playing that, that two, three. Um, So, you finish up at Syracuse early so that you can make the start of the single A Fort Wayne tin cap season. Um, what went into that decision and how has that experience been so far uh, calling single A ball as far as, you know, expanding your skill set and then also getting you ready for a weekend like this weekend where uh, you're calling major league ball? Yeah, well, first on, on you know, going into uh, going into my final year and, and trying to graduate a little bit early. That was something that was kind of always on my mind. Uh, it started, you know, I was supposed to call baseball games in the Cape Cod baseball league in 2020 and the, the league got canceled. So I took a summer course uh, at a community college that's transfer creditable, I guess, over to Syracuse. Uh, and then the next summer, even though I was broadcasting in the Cape Cod baseball league that year, I took three more courses because one of the best things about Syracuse is, uh, the the older students really help mentor the younger students and teach them all they know. And I had seen a lot of the people before me that wanted to do minor league baseball. They needed to start when the season started and the season starts in April. And, and really, in theory, you want to be there uh, even before then. So I kind of prepared my my course load accordingly so that I could finish up early. Uh, and, and since I've been in Fort Wayne, I mean, it's just been massive uh, for my development, not just as a broadcaster, but I think as a media professional, because in the minors, uh, you, you have a job, but you also have like eight jobs that aren't your job <laughs> because everyone's pulling together to make sure that this thing runs. And, and it's been, you know, awesome for, you know, repetitions of, of getting better. I, you know, I did 38 games in the Cape Cod baseball league last year. We're beyond 40 games in the high A season for the tin caps, and there's about 100 left to go. So the ability to go on and do that many games, and for Fort Wayne, we have a very unique thing. I think only one other minor league team has it, where we have a cable television deal for all of our home games. So um, there are MILB TV streams for a lot of teams, and a lot of them are high quality, but we pride ourselves on having a – fully legitimate uh, cable television broadcast for baseball games. So I get to do some TV games at home, some radio games on the road. And obviously radio is what was preparing me for this weekend. And I think one of the good things about, you know, whether it was being in school or, or now in the minor leagues, I take my job very seriously, but uh, you can try some things down there and Mm -hmm. you can kind of experiment and, and see what you like and don't like uh, because, you know, the, the broadcast is, you know, it's not on the same magnitude in terms of you know what people are are paying obviously in advertising to what the I'm sure the Toronto Blue Jays get all I have no idea uh, so you know I, I think it's been a great experience there and I have a uh, a great lead broadcaster my boss uh, ahead of me and John Nolan who also went to Syracuse he's helped me out uh, a lot and helped me in my development. So it's been a really good experience for getting me better. So you do take the, the high jump in leverage this weekend to, Hey, you're calling Vladimir Guerrero jr. Homering off Shohei Otani, uh, number two in MVP versus number one. You also get 
a number of just awesome games, tight games, uh, closer situations. Do you have a moment or a call that was your favorite from the weekend? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, in game two, I I really enjoyed. It was really tense. Uh, Romano getting the strikeout to end that game. That was a fun one. My favorite moment, although it might have not been my favorite call, I think was the first batter I called. Eight pitches into it, George yeah. Springer hit a home run, uh, and that was kind of you know if you're not ready, like I, I'm the younger brother, so this is kind of a story of my life. Like if you're not ready that's that stinks you're getting pushed into the deep end you know so that was kind of good for me in a way that it's just let's get right into it and get you know the the most important biggest plays of the game uh out there and on the forefront but i, I i'll say moment and call together uh game four boba hits the game tying home run in the eighth inning that was uh that was insane i i really that's one of the craziest games I've just ever watched in my life, that 11-10 game. Uh, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't predict any of that. Sometimes I can tell the way a game's going and if it feels like a team uh, is going is gonna to string something together just from the at-bats they're putting together. But the, the compass was scrambled on that game. I had no <laughs> idea what was going to happen. And when Bo hit that homer after Stassi hit one in the top or in the bottom half of the previous inning to give the Angels the lead, that was – that was insane. So that might be the one I remember most. So you mentioned uh, the Romano strikeout. And so he comes in to game one of this series, gets the the save, giving up a run, but but they had uh, enough cushion there. Or sorry, rather, he didn't get a save. It wasn't even a save opportunity, but he'd had four days rest. So they get him in for work. And then he strikes out the side in that game that you just mentioned. And then he comes in for a third day in a row, a bit of a... a rare choice by Charlie Montoyo. Um, Romano wanted the ball by all accounts, and it's a a very tight game. And he struggles a little bit, and he gives up a hit. He walks to, and Montoyo makes the decision to go to Ross Stripling. And we played your call, the final out, uh, on your way in here. What did you think of the decision there um, from Montoyo to, you know, hey, first try Romano on a third straight day and then pivot off of it when it didn't look like he had it. Cause I'd imagine that's a tough one in a manager's position. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in my answer, you'll find out why I'm not a major league manager. <laughs> I, I thought it was the right decision to go to Romano uh, just because wins, you know, I know they swept them and it feels like they, you know, they're really on a roll and they can't stop winning, but beating the angels on the road is no joke. Uh, that's a, that's a really good baseball team with a really good offense. So I thought, you know what, if, if Romano can do it, you stack the fourth day where he's obviously not going to pitch with the day off and you probably have him back. And with, like you said, he had the extended rest. So all things considered, it wouldn't have been the craziest proposition, even though I believe it was the first time in his career, he ever went three games in a row or three days in a row. Uh, I was very nervous about the strip leg decision and, <laughs> and Ross, you know, twice in the weekend, then, and then, you know, in the 11, 10 game proves why he can be trusted in those big moments because he's been there before, even if uh, he's not typically a closer, I just thought, you know, you're taking, you're taking Romano out and he's your guy. and He's one of the best closers in the American league. And you're putting stripling into a situation where he's not used to, you, you know, he's used to being a clean inning guy, even if he's a reliever, so I was, you know, I was interested to see how it would go, to say the least. But uh, credit to Charlie, it worked. And he had, uh, other than the offense and, and some of the pitching, 
he had a fantastic series. Uh, that move included. I know some will criticize the Romano move, but it, you know if he's he was smart enough to pull the plug at the right time and get them the win. So I give all the credit to him. Yeah, I thought he had a strong series. I, I liked to, you know, uh, obviously David Phelps has been great this year, but if you're going, you know, on the, the trust tree or the guy who's gotten the more high leverage situations when Jordan Romano is not available, well, Jimmy Garcia got the eighth last night and that was because it was the top of the order. And then David Phelps yeah. got the, you know, higher leverage by inning and game situation, surely, but the easier kind of uh, group of hitters there. He didn't have to deal with the the Otani trout part. Um, so I thought that was good. I thought some of the, you know, you're sitting there and, and it's the sixth inning and, and Tapia and Zimmer come up and you're like, pinch hit now, pinch hit now. And then, you know, he waits and then it's the Teoscar pinch hit and, and a Vlad pinch hit later. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought I thought Charlie had a good game on on Sunday in a in an unfortunate situation, because let's be honest, your starter only goes two and a third innings and your closers unavailable and you use six relievers the day before. What are you really going to do? A manager doesn't have a, a lot of options. Um Ben, where are you on the bullpen overall? Obviously, there was kind of it was kind of a tale of two weekends where a handful of guys didn't look great and you know struggled to to eat those innings post Barrios yesterday. But some of the guys, including Romano at the back end, a Richard steps up, a, a Jimmy Garcia steps up, a Phelps steps up for a save. Um, do you have a an overall confidence level? in this bullpen or are you still kind of in wait and see mode with too many of these names? I'm, I'm pretty confident in the bullpen, but with a caveat, I think that I'm confident in the bullpen because when Tim Mesa returns uh, and potentially if they get Nate Pearson, well, now some of the guys who are inning seeders, you swap them out for Mesa who can be high leverage and Pearson who in theory can either be a multiple innings guy or you can just send him out and say, throw a hundred and, and see what he can unload in one inning. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're looking for an arm still at the deadline. What contending team is not looking for a bullpen arm at the deadline? That's kind of a, a general rule of baseball. Unless you're like the current Yankees bullpen, I don't see why you wouldn't want to add. So I, I think if you get Mesa back, you get Pearson back. I feel I feel good about them. And if you have the ability to go out and get someone who you can plug in, you know, in high leverage situations too, then that's great. But the core bullpen guys were fantastic this week. You got, you got very solid contributions from Romano. You got really good stuff from Garcia. Simber was good. I know he gave up the Stassi home run, but other than that, he was good. Richards was really good in his two appearances. You relied on Phelps in the ninth, like you mentioned, and he had another scoreless inning. Ross Stripling's reliable. So I, I think that there's enough there. The injuries mixed with the four-game series made it look a little bit more strained and they, you know, they just got to stop playing one run games. If they stop playing one run games, the bullpen will pitch a little bit better. Yeah, I would think so. You don't have quite the leverage. You mentioned Nate Pearson there. Uh, If anyone didn't hear, he threw in a game for the first time in the minor leagues uh, this season on Thursday, went one and two thirds innings, faced seven batters. Uh, So he is, you know, working his way. He, he's getting there a little bit. Uh, ben, quickly, one more for you before we let you get back on the road to Fort Wayne. A uh, more fun name to call in a big moment: Ripken Reyes or Jackson Wolf? Oh, Ripken, Ripken Reyes. No offense to Jackson Wolf, who uh, who is fun, but 
Ripken Reyes is, I mean, that flows. That's a baseball name. Like oh, yeah. Ripken Reyes was going to get drafted the day that he was born. <laughs> uh, it's a, and I don't know why I have to ask him why he's, his family went with Cal Ripken because he's a California guy. But uh, Ripken Reyes, not only a, a great player, but yes, yeah, so a great name to call it, a fantastic baseball name. I'm trying to think if we have any other like very, very good ones. Um, Ripken definitely is the one that stands out. But Jackson Wolf is fun. We also have a pitcher, actually, Robert Gasser. And you oh, can say like the on. gas man, gas from him. He throws pretty hard, too. So that's probably he might be second ab- above Wolf, honestly. Man. Gasser is almost as good as uh, Josh Outman is is the best baseball uh, appropriate uh, pitcher name. Ben Shulman, uh, we heard you call a lot of Angels and Jays games, this names rather, this weekend and games. Uh, it was excellent. Really enjoyed hearing you. And hey, the Jays are undefeated when you're on the call. Uh, thanks for taking the time this morning, man, and keep up the great work. Thanks so much. Jansen Junk was the highlight name of this series, by the way. But good <laughs> luck with the show. Very excited to hear it. Thanks, man. Uh, drive safe. Uh, that was Ben Shulman. He did play-by-play for the Jays Angels series on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, some fun calls with our next guest, Ben Nicholson-Smith, who we'll talk to after the break. Um, they were in the booth together. And ha- I don't know, maybe, I don't know if Ben's going to be listening. I know he's driving back to Fort Wayne right now. I, I don't know if he- he's got the stream up, but maybe I'll, maybe we'll ask Ben Nicholson-Smith for the real scouting report on how Ben Shulman did on the weekend. Um, more to the point, though, we're going to dive into some of these Jose Barrios struggles with Ben Nicholson-Smith. We're also going to answer the Moreno question. Well, we won't answer it, but we'll get Ben Nicholson-Smith's answer on it. Could the Jays carry three catchers with a catcher being their best hitter at the AAA level right now? And yeah, the bats are going, but the bench is still a little thin on hitting options. Maybe you can go to three catchers. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith about that next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. This is your new 3 to 5 show on Sports at 590 The Fan. And I promise I will try not to call it the Fan Morning Show again. Uh, like I did in that last segment. A little bit of an adjustment here. Speaking of the fan morning show, a text from uh, the producer of that show, Daniele, he points out to me that when we came together to first do that show in October, myself, J.D. Bunkus, and Ailish Forfar, our very first guest on that show was Dan Shulman, and Ben Shulman was just the very first guest on Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, So weird little coincidence there, kind of fun. Our next guest was next to Ben Shulman in the booth all weekend, Ben Nicholson-Smith, sportsnet.ca, at the Letters Podcast, and the broadcast over the weekend. Ben, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Blake. Congrats on the show. Great to be joining you. And it feels like it kind of makes sense for me to be joining you after Ben Shulman because we did spend all weekend together calling those games and talking baseball. Yeah, it's it's great. It makes a lot of sense. And I have to thank uh, my producer, JR, for being like, hey, let's just only have guests named Ben today. That way you can't mess up anyone's name. You won't call any guests the wrong name. It's just Ben, Ben. We'll have Ennis on. We'll have uh, Wagner on. Um, how was the weekend? I, I know you have a little bit of experience doing the color commentary stuff now, um, but how do you find it? Four pretty good games for you and Ben to, to get your feet under you as a duo. Oh, it's been a blast. Yeah, it's been so much fun to mix it up and do some 
games in the booth. I was in with Wagner uh, for one of the Reds games, which was a lot of fun. And then to do this whole Angel series, I mean, it was a great series. And I, I don't know, when the games are this close, like you're you're really into the game. You're really thinking along with the manager. And it's a different experience. Every Every way to cover a game is kind of different, whether you're preparing for a podcast or preparing for an article or doing a TV game. Um, this is this is a different medium and it demands different things of you. And I think it opens up the game in some different ways, especially when the game is that close. And that long. That was a long, long call for, for you guys on Sunday, over uh, almost four hours and 15 minutes, uh, that one. And look, I know that it's busy. I know that uh, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. There's a lot of pregame meeting and planning and stuff like that. But I got to say, you know, I, I'm debuting the show today and you, you kind of ghost me over text on, on Sunday as I'm trying to prep for it. I'm trying to get some music to play you in with that speaks to Ben Nicholson Smith. Uh, and all you give me is 190 beats per minute. Like I thought immediately I was like, well, I know Breathe by Prodigy is supposed to be like the perfect workout song in terms of beats per minute. Uh, but what are we talking here on this running playlist? Because that's a that's a high tempo, man. Yeah, see, I, I'm sorry for ghosting you, first it's of all, okay. because you, you deserve a reply, even if I was uh, busy there. But um, but yeah, basically, I do most of my music listening when I'm running. And so when I'm running, I really want the up-tempo. Like, I want as much energy as I can possibly get from my ear pods. So I just need it to be high energy, high intensity. I will listen to the poppiest music. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I just need that high energy. Look, man, I'm big on there's no such thing as guilty pleasures. I'm a big Carly Rae Jepsen fan. You know, you can fire up uh, one of Grimes' albums is like a perfect workout album. Churches is like one of my favorite uh, workout and run bands. So I'm with you. It makes sense awesome. to me. So uh, it just, you know, we, we got new custom music for today. So we played in with that instead. So the games on the weekend, obviously there's a ton of positive to take from it. They've won five in a row now. The bats are getting going a little bit. But... It did feel like coming out of that game yesterday, even with the wins, people were left with, hey, the Jose Barrios thing is getting a little concerning. That's the first time in several seasons that he's had two starts go under three innings. Uh, the velocity's down. He's having trouble with command. There are, I've got a list here of like five or six things that you could be worried about with Jose Barrios. Um, what is the most concerning element for you of his season as a whole, but really when he's had those rough outings that snowball on him, what is priority a one for you trying to fix Jose Barrios? To me, the biggest question is why is he striking out fewer hitters? Mm -hmm. Because the strikeout rate has dropped a lot. It was 26% in 2021 when he was a very good starting pitcher. And then now it's dropped to 17%. So we're looking at a very significant drop off. And that's one of the most important things. If you're, any front office person looking at how to assess a pitcher, the strikeout rate, the walk rate, that's going to be basically one and one A when it comes to just trying to get a baseline of what a pitcher is doing. And, and of course, it runs way deeper than that. But to go from 26.1 to 16.2, that is a really big drop off. So that is something the Blue Jays have to figure out. It's not velocity. He's still throwing basically as hard as he has in years past with a similar pitch mix, 
but he is getting hit harder. And so some of that obviously comes down to location. There could be some pitch selection there. I, I know that you have Chris Black on your on your <laughs> uh, guest list for the week, and, and there's some mechanical things that he's highlighted as well. But to me, just high level, if you're striking out a lot less batters, that is going to be a problem as a starting pitcher. For sure. And that's obviously, you know, you can't get yourself out of trouble as easily. And you can, you know, you've got a good defense behind you. Balls in play aren't aren't always going to kill you. But he's allowed the highest average exit velocity of any qualified pitcher other than Aaron Sanchez, who uh, I'm sure Jays fans remember, tends to give up some hard contact and has only gotten worse since he was here. So, um, you know, there are are a few things we can pull at there. I want to dig in deeper on the strikeout thing, and, and let's, you know, try to figure out a little bit of what's going on here. And you mentioned the velocity's not down overall. It was down yesterday, almost two miles an hour on the fastball. But for the season, it's almost identical. Um, his velocities and, you know, if you if you care about such things or you can contextualize them, his spin rates on any of his pitches haven't really changed a lot either. But for whatever reason... When he throws a pitch in the zone, batters are making contact on it 89.1% of the time when they swing. And, you know, you mentioned that he's not striking guys out, and you can break it down pitch by pitch. His four-seam fastball had a whiff rate of 21% last year, down to 16 I think because that fastball is not playing as well, his curveball isn't as effective, and it's down from a 34% swing and miss rate to 28%. His changeup has held mostly steady, but it's also been hit harder. So if you're approaching this, if you're sitting down today as Pete Walker with Jose Brios, um, is it fastball first for you because the curveball and the changeup play off of that? Like is is figuring out why he's not getting his fastball in good positions the, the top thing you're looking at? So often it does start with the fastball. So I think that makes sense to to look there and and see you know, how well he's locating it, uh, if he's finding his spots, um, or or if there has to be some improvement on the command front. One way or another, you look at the totals, and it's just not enough to get him out of the out of the situations that he's in because he's also getting hit hard. You know, it's not just that he's not striking guys out, but okay, he's allowing this weak contact. He's getting hit hard. He's allowing more home runs than usual. We're seeing the hard contact off the off the bats of opposing hitters with some frequency, like you said. So it's it's a rough combination, and it's not a tiny sample anymore. It's a 10-game sample. That's a third of his season. You know, we're, we're really getting to a point that this is somewhat meaningful. And with six more years at $20 million per, you've got to figure it out. And I think they can. He's a very athletic 28-year-old pitcher in his prime with his velocity. So those are some building blocks that you can work with. And there's proof of concept that he can be a good pitcher. But what we've seen for the first third of the season is really not very effective. So, yeah, the the velocity isn't down yet or outside of that one game. One of the things that that thread by Chris Black you mentioned, and again, he's at Down to Black on Twitter. Uh, he's a great follow for Jay's analytics stuff and video breakdowns. One of the things he pointed out, and look, I, I think we'd expect this to materialize in velocity first. So the fact that it's not there over the whole 10 game sample, maybe this is nothing, but as Chris pointed out, Brios has made the second most starts in baseball since the start of the 2018 season. Um, Do you, do you worry that there's any sort of kind of cumulative fatigue there or something, you know, I I don't know about wear and tear or, or how you term it, but there's a reason that a lot of starters don't 
start as reliably and as frequently as Barrios. That's supposed to be, you know, why you pay him, why you like him at the top of your rotation. But but does that concern you at all? You know, until we see some sort of drop-off with his spin rate or velocity or until we hear something from Barrios himself that he's not right physically, I'm going to, going to assume that he is fine physically. I, I'm just going to move forward with that assumption. And based on what he said... He's feeling good physically. Um, I, you know, I wasn't there in Anaheim, uh, so I didn't speak to him after his most recent start. But in the times this month that we've heard from him after games that I've been at, including in St. Louis last week, he says he feels good physically and that's where he wants to be. So I'm going off that assumption until I hear otherwise. That makes sense to me. And, you know, that's something that, hey, I don't know if it's every pitcher, but a lot of the times if a pitcher is struggling, you know, the team will, maybe it's something you wouldn't mention if the pitcher's pitching well, but when a pitcher's pitching poorly, you just kind of mention it. So there's like, well, well, you got this thing. Like Hyunjin Ryu always has something or other uh, going on. Well, actually, since I stumbled onto that, um, is there any update on Hyunjin Ryu or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Danny Jansen, Teoscar Hernandez, who are all dealing with um, over the weekend what we think are minor things? That's a long, long list of names. Long list of minor <laughs> things. Of yeah, players sorry. On the Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, they're really hopeful, obviously, that these are are minor and stay minor because those players are so important to the Blue Jays. For Ryu, he's listed as a probable starter for the Blue Jays on Wednesday, so seems as though he is all systems go to make that start. Now we saw Vladdy and Teoscar pinch hit in Sunday's game, and that's a good sign. Now, of course, they weren't feeling 100% to begin the day, so that's not what you like Hmm. to see. I'm guessing that after the off day, we do see those guys in the lineup. Um, And then, you know, for Danny Jansen, it's something that he's going to have to manage potentially as the season goes on because he plays such a demanding position and because, you know, this is he's already dealing with the oblique um, as, as he recovers from that injury. So Danny Jansen sitting in that game, and we didn't know about the hip thing at first. And when you look at that lineup, it, it did look obviously a little odd with Vlad Teoscar and Danny John, Danny Jansen rather, uh, all out of it. And what that meant was Kirk's at catcher, and, and you're playing Tapia and Zimmer together, and not in probably the situation you want to be playing them. And it led to some questions of, hey, what if or, or why not play both catchers? At the same time, they did that on Tuesday with Jansen behind the plate and Kirk at DH. Uh, They hinted that that could be something that we see again. Um, So before we get to the obvious uh, potential workaround here, do you see Charlie Montoyo going with that more often moving forward, given that Jansen and Kirk are two of their best nine players and best nine guys to have in the lineup? Or is he going to stay a little risk averse in terms of, hey, you might burn your DH if something goes wrong here. I, I like it. I think they should. I, I think that going with Jansen and and Kirk in the lineup at the same time gives them a really strong offensive group. And if your alternatives are, I mean, yesterday it was Ryan Tapia in yeah. DH. And I know Tapia's come around. He's been better. But really what we've seen from Jansen and Kirk is certainly better than what we've seen from Tapia this season. So 
if those guys are physically able to take on the challenge, I think that, you know, whatever the, the risk is of, you know, having your second catcher in the DH spot, I think that's fine because even, you know, worst case, the catcher has to leave the game. The other guy comes in, you lose your DH, fine. You know, that's that's a that's not the end of the world because your catcher is in the game. It's not like you're using him for one pitch hitting appearance and then he's out of the game entirely. So to me, that's a risk you can you can work with for sure. And as long as these guys are two of your best nine hitters, then I think it makes sense to load up. As much as we saw better offensive performances, and really it does look like the Jays collectively are starting to come out of those struggles and starting to perform better as a group, but you need to keep pushing. And to me, that means going with the guys who are hitting and healthy. And Kirk and Jansen are definitely hitting well. Yeah, they're definitely hitting well. Kirk's case, his OBP is up to a team best 371 now. Yeah, he's only got the 372 slugging. He's trying to do the rare thing of can you slug lower than your your OBP? It was the old Alex Rios watch of could you get your OBP lower than your batting average? Um, but in his case, it's for uh, isolated power. And then Jansen, if we go 30, go back to when he was activated off the disabled list last year um, on August 31st, it's still only 31 games because he has dealt with a couple injuries and he's obviously not an everyday guy splitting time at catcher but he's hit he's slashed 309 374 773 uh going back to that august 31st activation last year and yeah that's only 100 plate appearances or so but it's an eighth of his career it's a uh, about as good a sample as we're gonna get so yes i think they're two of your best nine uh players and two of your best nine hitters now ben where we could go from this is well, you know how it's easier to manage having Kirk at DH and Jansen in a catcher on a more regular basis is if you go back to carrying three catchers, that's maybe tough on the bullpen. You you lose an arm out of the bullpen there or you lose uh, someone that's on the bench now that has a little positional versatility. Kevin Biggio and, and Bradley Zimmer are kind of the two placeholder bench guys de- depending on the day. Uh, but you could get a third catcher up and Tyler Heineman's long gone. Zach Collins was more pinch hitter slash DH then third catcher. But I know you feel passionately about this. Gabriel Moreno in May has a 922 OPS with six games with three or more hits and perhaps most impressively, seven walks to 11 strikeouts for the entire month. Do you think it's possible and should the Jays look at, hey, carrying three catchers because they've got three catchers that can hit, and between catcher and DH, there's enough plate appearances to maybe make it work. Yeah, I think there's so much to get to there, and it's such an interesting discussion. Yeah, sorry, that was a very uh, long-winded me, question of me. <laughs> no, I think it, it it makes sense, and there's there's really all kinds of offshooting uh, sub-discussions to have with this in a way. To me, to begin... I think that there's a case to be made for expanding the Blue Jays bench regardless of who that is because we saw the Blue Jays empty it over the weekend on a few occasions. And realistically, I know Vasquez had a key role in that game yesterday. I I don't know that you need nine relievers in the bullpen on a regular basis. I'm not sure that you, you need to have quite so many arms when you're churning through your bench players and when they can give you something meaningful in a in a pinch hit or pinch run situation. So I like the idea personally of swinging more toward that bigger bench and then just option guys in and out of the bullpen. But that is a bigger picture question. Now, as for Moreno, he, like you say, Blake, I mean, he is hitting everything. So this is a guy who, after a slow start, is now making that push. And 
I, I'm not sure where his game calling and receiving are at. That's obviously something that he's going to have to refine even after he gets to the major league level. But I think we're now getting to the point after a very strong offensive month at AAA from Moreno that there's a real discussion to be had. And I, I don't know. If I'm the Jays, I would put him in left field. I would get him at third base for a few reps. I would just try some ways to build on the versatility that he already has because that is a bat that's very intriguing. I know that some people might hear that and be like, well, it's kind of risky to throw a guy just out in left field when he's never played there. I know even the the third base sample is pretty limited. Um, He's caught 169 games in the minors and he's played one game at third base, but he's also played a little bit of third base, um, a little bit of first base, other places. He hasn't played in the outfield, but part of the draw with Moreno is supposed to be that he is super athletic by the standards of of a catcher. So, um, you know, maybe now's the time. Maybe he's eventually a catcher, um, and and you obviously want him getting those reps back there, but it it gets as bad into the lineup. Um, Do you have a sense? uh, Obviously, that's that's our take on it. Do you have a sense of how the organization might feel about that and balancing Moreno's development, getting everyday reps behind the plate and handling a pitching staff versus hey, we're in a win now window and his back could really help the club. Yeah, I hope to I hope to soon because I think it's becoming a real question. And to me, as you identified right there, that's the balancing act. It's are you willing to bring him up in a role that's sort of part-time or medium time as opposed to playing five days a week at AAA. And if you're playing him five days a week, then he can improve on the defensive aspects. He can improve on the game calling while still getting everyday at-bats to work on his offense. So, you know, that's that's one side of it. And clearly, there comes a point where you just need to make the team as good as you can. And if you're in September, if you're in a playoff race, you're not worried about development in quite the same way. Now, at the end of May, it's a different balancing act. And if I had to guess, the Jays will keep him at AAA, especially now that the offense is rolling and 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 he's still just one month into this hot streak offensively and allow him to work on things. But it's becoming a more interesting conversation. In general terms, how... How important is it to you to see a guy? Obviously, him tearing the cover off the ball is great. That's you know a 922 OPS. Anytime you're you're hitting at that level, there's there's not really any bad to it. But when you see a young player like this, who hey, he's been a top prospect for a little bit now, but he's still very young for that level. To see his plate discipline and his approach grow such that he only has 11 strikeouts in an entire month and and seven walks to those 11 strikeouts. And this could be specific to Moreno or just how you look at prospects in general. Is that a pretty big indicator for you? Yeah, I think that's that's something you look at. To me, like when I'm looking just at, at major league hitters, and, and this would apply also to to professional hitters of, of any kind, but I'm always intrigued to see what their max exit velo is. I want to know what kind of power they've they've got and what kind of power they can deliver. And I'm intrigued by the strikeout to walk because, you know, you mentioned Zach Collins in passing there, but one of the reasons it never seemed sustainable that he would be able to do quite what he was doing was he was striking out so much. And so if guys are striking out 36 or 37% of the time, you're just not going to make enough contact most of the time to be a very good major league player unless you have Joey Gallo's power. So 
that's where you know those strikeout rates are really important. And of course, it probably goes up in the major leagues. But for Moreno to be controlling the strike zone well as a hitter, which is a staple of his, I mean, that's a good sign. And so, you know, this is it's an ongoing thing, and and a lot of prospects, including Spencer Torkelson, Bobby Witt Jr., who's now hot but struggled when he first came up. I mean, it, it is it is tough to debut in the major leagues and produce from day one. So. That's something the Blue Jays will be mindful of with any of these prospects. But Moreno is... The other way you could look at having three catchers who can hit and defend like that right now is that, hey, young catchers who can hit and defend are monster, monster trade chips. Like there are... You can talk about a lot of frameworks where a Moreno or even a Kirk are the you know, key piece in a deal or, or one of several pieces if we're we're aiming a little higher. Um, is that in the back of your mind when we have these discussions at all that, hey, maybe this resolves itself and one of these three isn't, isn't around by August 2nd anyway? I, I wonder about it for sure. And I definitely get asked about it. And it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept to look at. I mean, with Kirk, he's someone who is showing so much offensively and defensively, better throwing, better receiving, better framing at the bottom of the zone. And after this year, you still have four more years of Kirk. So he's a long-term player for this team and just 23 years old, of course. It's also rare when you look at Major League Baseball decisions across the league, it's pretty rare for a contending team to part with one of their catchers. And in fact, you know, even broadly speaking, the midseason catcher trade is pretty rare. I mean, we saw the Nationals send Jan Gomes to Oakland last year, but it's it's even more rare for the contending team to trade away one of their catchers. So not to say it couldn't happen, but to me, if this is something the Blue Jays would look at, and they've been open to it. I mean, they've had inquiries from the Texas Rangers and others on their catchers in recent off-seasons, and teams as, yeah, as recently as last winter were asking about this group. Uh, but... I just think it's more of an off-season thing if it does happen, and I don't think you have to do it. I think that, you know, I don't think this is a logjam that has to be quote-unquote solved. I think that there are ways, if all three of these guys are hitting, there are ways to make this work. I agree with you, and I, I would like to see it, you know, eventually. if Once they feel that that development balance tilts uh, in the right direction. So th- that's that parallels a little bit some of the conversations we've had about Nate Pearson over the years in terms of, hey, you you know, his highest upside is as a starter, but his path to helping the team right now maybe as a reliever. I use that as a pivot point because the bullpen was an interesting talking point over the weekend. No bullpen is going to look great when you have to use six relievers on Saturday and six relievers on Sunday. And at the end of a, a four-game set, your starter doesn't get at a third inning. Um, it was kind of a, a weekend of good and bad in the bullpen, though, Ben. And, um, you know, Pearson made his first appearance in an official game on Thursday, so I don't think he's an imminent guy. But how are you feeling about the bullpen in general where, hey, it, it kind of feels like a few guys have climbed up the trust tree a little bit more, and then the back end of that bullpen – feels worrisome and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth um, but that's how it felt to me over the weekend I, I think that that's totally fair and I think that that's really accurate when you look at and, and also that's probably the way you would want it to go like you'd want your best guys to improve and really show that they deserve to be there and then if the if the guys toward the bottom of the bullpen are losing trust well it's not ideal but 
then at least you have some clarity as far as who you're going to in high leverage. And so what we saw in the bullpen was Simber, for the most part, with the exception of the Stassi homer, was very good. And the same can be said of Jimmy Garcia, who put together his best weekend as a Blue Jay. Stripling, obviously, was good. Phelps was good. Um, Richards was good. So there were guys who really stepped up and and performed. Now, Julian Merriweather struggled. I mean, that was that was not good. And Ryan Barucki was not locating the slider. He was not throwing enough strikes. That was not good. Vasquez, you know, he's, he's someone who can go up and down because he has options. Um, but you really did see almost a separation between that inner circle and then the guys that are still trying to prove themselves. And, and I think, I know you talked about this with Ben Shulman earlier, but I really do think that they need to be adding and that this is, I, I'm not saying it's urgent. They can get through the next week. Like they're, they're fine. They're in a better spot than they were last year, but at the deadline, they need a reliever, maybe two relievers. Yeah, and I, I know that um, you guys on the Athletics podcast last week talked a lot about some of the swinging, I mean, a lot about the bullpen in general, but some of the stuff came up about, hey, the Jays at the lower levels of the minors, their relievers are starting to strike out a ton of guys, and you see the bat-missing capability not there at the majors, and it, it kind of feels like that's something that they've learned the lesson on and, and are trying to develop through the minors. But I think the only one of those guys that's maybe close is Adrian Hernandez. Is there another name down there that we should have an eye on just in the scenario where, hey, a Merriweather or Vasquez goes down and they're just going to try someone else in that spot? Yeah, the Adrian Hernandez name is is an interesting one for sure. I mean, he seems to be uh, you know someone that we should keep an eye on. Along with Moreno, who's not on the 40-man roster, mm-hmm. uh, Hernandez isn't. So, of course, you're talking about a move that would be required there um you know if you're looking from the left side brandon eisert has more than a strikeout per inning so that's one that you could look at uh again matt gage has been good as well from the left side so there are a couple options there if you really wanted to to get creative and i I don't think there's a problem with that i mean at at this point you need results and you know you're going to go through a lot of relievers in the course of the season so opportunity will come up whether it's injury or whether the jays decide to make a roster move of some kind because you know there's always going to be that churn and we are still two months away from the deadline yeah and as much as we might like to say hey do something now um you know if you acquire a salary two months from now, you're paying less than you are now and your money goes a little further in that sense. And you have a better idea of, Hey, look, relievers are extremely volatile and that's true of your own relievers. And that's true of other teams, relievers as well. Um, not volatile, your performance when you come on radio with me, Ben, thanks so much for taking the time today, man. Appreciate you coming on the first episode of Jay's talk plus, um, and great job over the weekend with, with Ben Schulman on the Jay's calls. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Blake. Uh, happy to be on the inaugural show. And uh, congrats again. As I'm look for, looking forward to listening, the first hour was great. And hopefully uh, the second part of this show lived up to that first hour. Well, it did with you, but it's going downhill after the break. Uh, we're we're going to have a pal of mine on for some nonsense. Uh, thanks again, Ben. Thanks. That was Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet.ca, At The Letters Podcast, and sometimes color commentator on the Sportsnet Radio Network, for Jays games. Uh, he did mention that Hyunjin Ryu is the probable pitcher on Wednesday. Um, normally what we're going to do on this show, I think is the four thirty slot 
we're going to tee up that night's game. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think we, you know, normally we'll have the lineup by then. We'll do an opposing starting pitcher scouting report. We'll maybe kick around some, some player props and things like that. Uh, there's no game tonight, though. Uh, they have the White Sox in town starting Tuesday. Uh, you get Gosman, Ryu, Manoa, and uh, that Gosman-Giolito matchup in the first game of that series. Uh, really, really looking forward to that one. Unfortunately, uh, if you're a fan of certain Chicago White Sox, uh, no Tim Anderson. Uh, Tim Anderson hit the IL yesterday with a groin injury, so uh, that's a tough one. The White Sox are also a, kind of a fascinating team where – their offense has been about 10% below league average, and they have a comically low walk rate and a bad bullpen, and somehow they're sitting around 500. Uh, maybe that's just the AL Central of it all. Maybe there's something a little special going on at the top of that rotation. Uh, we'll see. We'll see Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, so that would normally be the 430 block here on Jay's Talk Plus, but no game tonight. So when we come back, we'll talk to my pal Steve Slidkowski, the guitarist for Pup the Band. He crafted uh, our music for this Jay's Talk Plus show. Um, he had a fun interaction with a former Jay recently. And again, we're going to get into his dad's weird theory. We're also going to play some Blue Jays trivia. That's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. This is the first day of Jay's Talk Plus. This is your new 3 to 5 here on Sports at 590 The Fan. You can get Kipper and Bourne at 9 to 10 in the morning now since the Leafs are in the offseason. Uh, you can also, of course, find them wherever you get your podcasts as well. You can find this wherever you get your podcasts too uh, under the Blue Jays Talk banner. Instead of that nice, smooth Miles Davis session coming in, you'll hear a different tune when you listen on the podcast, a tune crafted by my good pal who joins us now, a guitarist for Pop the Band, Steve Sladkowski. Steve, what's up, buddy? Hi. Uh, you know, not much. I've had too much caffeine, and I'm trying to get through my laundry to go back out on tour later this week. Yeah, you were home for like seven minutes. What are you, what are you still doing here? Get out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's... Uh, it's been nice to to have that kind of feeling of of things being uh like like they were maybe a few years ago uh even though you know whether or not that is actually the case remains to be seen yeah <laughs> things think. things are how they were a few years ago where you never know what day it is or what city you're in it's perfect exactly exactly so you did make the intro music we're using here on Jay's Talk Plus and, and thank you for that uh, I'm curious to hear how you approached it because you told me you did something kind of cool off of uh, take me out to the ball game and, and just the general idea of like baseball park organ sounds yeah so uh I kind of I had an idea that that I thought would be fun, which was sort of to take the chord progression uh, from take me out to the ball game, um, which is um, it is in, in three, four, uh, you know, doom, do, de, uh, 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 one, two, three, dun, dun, de, one, two, three. Um, and I smoothed it out, made it a little bit more punk rock. Obviously, Blake, you love punk music and um, made it in four, four and kind of have gave it a, a, a sort of faster kind of driving drum beat. Uh, and then just kind of, found a little organ sound and, and played a little melody, uh, over top and, and you liked it. So that, that's, that was the, uh, that was the kind of, 
that's all I needed to do. <laughs> well, Steve, I got to tell you, man, when I told you that there would be like math and analytics on, on my new baseball show, I didn't mean music math where you're talking about three, four and four, four and time signatures. That's a, that's a different kind of, uh, of nerdery. And you know, numbers are numbers. And, yeah. uh, that's, that's, I just wanted to, I wanted to do my part to, uh, to, you know, uh, 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 bring bring up the nerd level uh, of the podcast. Yeah, can't get can't get much higher with the uh, guest list we have this week, especially tomorrow. Um, so your normal job, you are the guitarist in Pop the Band. You guys have an album that came out earlier this year called "The Unraveling of Pop the Band." It's excellent. You guys have been out on tour. You're heading back out to Peterborough on Tuesday, Kingston on Wednesday for some makeup shows, and then you're back out on tour. What is the process like for you keeping up with your sports teams when you're on the road? Yeah, I mean, um, it's definitely made um, things like uh, MLB TV, you know, uh, a lot uh, easier to to kind of purchase. Sportsnet um, Now, of course, as well. I, I also have Sportsnet Now. That is right. Um, I, I do indeed. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, depending on where we are, um, I will use uh, the appropriate app. Um, in Canada, I'm using kind of, you know, a Sportsnet Now. Um, and, and, and often, like, if we're on the East Coast or kind of in, in Central Time, um, it's a lot easier to keep up with the Blue Jays because, you know, we go on kind of around 10 p.m. local most nights. So, um, you know, when they are when they are kind of in a similar time zone, I, I get to uh, get most of the game before I have to go on stage. Um, you know, and then it, it varies. Uh, I, I have been everywhere from Australia to um uh, parts of Europe, depending on, on the, the time of year, uh, for, for playoff games. Uh, I, I remember the Edwin Encarnacion home run. Hmm. Uh, I was, I was walking off, um, a, an airplane in Brisbane, Australia, and I, I turned my phone off airplane mode to watch that home run basically happen as I was walking off the plane. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, as long as you're committed, uh, it's, it can it can be pretty easy. And uh, I'm nothing if not committed. I like the idea of you getting a, like a, a little snippet of Wi-Fi at one point and being like, oh, Zach Britton's still not in the game. And then the plane yeah. lands and you get off airplane mode and you're like, wait a second, something's wrong here. Zach Britton still hasn't appeared in the game. Yeah. And then boom, Edwin Encarnacion walk off. I, I actually, so I was a fan for that game, not media. And I had seats down the first base line where I could like see right into the bullpen and watching Zach Britton stir for the last three innings, waiting to come in, thinking he's going to come in is still one of my uh, favorite sports memories steve something else you get to do when you're on tour at least in the u.s is you sneak in some ball games especially afternoon games in maybe a minor league city um where does that rank on your hey obviously your job's cool you get to tour around playing music but in terms of like ancillary things about touring how high does that rank for you Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, there have been times uh, where we've been able to actually see the Jays, which has been really cool. Um, you know, we were in Chicago for Lollapalooza a couple of years ago, uh, and that's sort of a – it kind of unfolds over uh, a couple of days because you play the festival and then you play like a club show on a different day. Um, and the Jays were playing the White Sox, and I went to all three games, you know. So hmm. so there's a lot of fun fun stuff there. I have a similar thing with the Raptors. Um uh, and yeah, you know, I think on days off, uh, when we find ourselves kind of in, in, uh, in places where, uh, you know, the, the priority on a day off is, is some, somewhere that has laundry and somewhere <laughs> that can park the bus. Uh, so, you know, sometimes that, uh, is, is a place, uh, that doesn't have much going on and that's okay. And, and other times, 
uh, it's a place like, um, you know, like Richmond, uh, where I've seen the flying squirrels or, you know, um, uh, you know, we were on tour a long time ago and, uh, uh, and a band from Philadelphia that we're super good friends with, uh, had, uh, reached out to, uh, the quad city river bandits, you know, and, and we, we got hooked up with a box, um, <laughs> on like cheap concession night too. So, so there is definitely some fun stuff there. I think it's the kind of thing that, um, uh, not everyone in the band is as big of a baseball fan as I am, but, but those experiences are always fun and it's always nice to see kind of. Um, you know, I've seen like a, like a shotgun wedding <laughs> at a, at like a proposal at a, at a minor league game. There's some pretty fun stuff, um, that just kind of, you get a better sense of, of, um, you know, the city. And then obviously uh, my fiance Bailey is from uh, Kentucky. So anytime we're in Louisville, uh, we definitely go see the bats because that's just a good time, uh, as well. So, yeah, you know, I think that's the easiest way, whether on tour or traveling, if you can ever catch a baseball, a baseball game, like even if it's not your team, it's it's really one of the the most enjoyable things I think you can do. Yeah, I love love minor league baseball. I'm going to be in Chicago in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to get a White Sox game and a non Jays game, but that's okay. Um, Steve, so you mentioned that the other guys in the band aren't necessarily as big a baseball fan as you, uh, but a baseball player came through with gifts for all of Pup at one of your Toronto shows at History the other week. Uh, how cool was that for you? John Axford rolls up with customized Pup jerseys, uh, Jays jerseys. Uh- yeah, I mean it was amazing. Uh, obviously, I, I had kind of um, some 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 friends had had made aware uh, made us aware that that Axford was a fan and and uh, he had um, you know I had seen that he'd posted the band uh, like songs or whatever uh, every every once in a while. But uh, but yeah, I woke up uh, a couple of days before the Toronto show um, uh, to a DM from him on Twitter saying, "Hey, I'm coming to the show. I already bought tickets. I would love to bring you guys a gift." Um, let me know your Jersey, uh, uh, size and, and what names you would want to have printed. So yeah, uh, there's a photo like circulating around. You can, you can see it on <laughs> Yeah, Instagram you guys did Axford dirty on the, Hey, let's post the one where his eyes are closed. Uh, <laughs> and he looks like I he's think... maybe had a beer or two in the, in the pit at the show. Listen, it was, it was post show. Everyone yeah. was tired. That Sweaty. was all that was going on, you know, um, nothing else happening, uh, but uh but yeah i mean it was amazing and 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 he's just like he's uh to to steal i guess a hockey phrase he's a beauty uh <laughs> but you know i uh it was just great to 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 meet someone and 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 you know uh, just be like oh yeah pitchers are tall you know <laughs> that was kind of a big takeaway <laughs> no but you know i i think it it, it is a cool kind of there's a, some some strange sort of um connection between kind of punk and, and loud music and, and, and baseball, I think. Um, yeah. And, Way and back was, to Randy was, Johnson. And I think the Melvins, that's the, yeah, that's right? the big yeah. one. Um, so Steve, our, our connection through sports and, and music is more that like, we kind of had, uh, the weird moment of like, Oh, you're, I read your stuff. Oh, I listen to your band. One of the first times we ever went to a Jays game together was during the 2015 and 2016 fun runs there. And, I talked about Russell Martin's retirement a little bit off the top of the show. I played some audio from him on the fan morning show with J.D. Bunkus and Ailish Forfar earlier today. And it got me to looking, as I am wont to do, uh, clicking around Russell Martin's baseball reference page and his fan graphs page and things like that. So 2015 and 2016 are kind of unique years in terms of roster construction because they had Dickey, so... You had to have Josh Tolley on the roster. You also had Russell Martin yeah. catch 266 games over those two seasons. And then Deion Navarro was the other guy who caught. 
they went two whole seasons only using three catchers. So my question for you, Steve, that was 2015, 2016, three catchers total over two years. How many catchers have the Jays used since then? So 2017 through to 2022, and that includes Russell Martin. Okay. Martin. Uh, Yeah. Well, let's, I'll I'll give you an over under first over under 12 and a half catchers used since the start of the 2017 season. Uh, I'm going to take the over. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, they they have used 14 different catchers since yeah. that rare two years of only using three. Yeah, the, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of catchers. Uh, You're, that's there's a lot like, of catchers. I I would say you could probably like I'd give you five or six of these. Maybe you'll get. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, Jansen is obvious. Yeah, is obvious. You know, um, uh, Collins before he got sent down this year. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Russell Martin, obviously you said that. There's four there. Uh, who uh, I'm like want to say Salfasano, but I know that that's not. That's <laughs> no, not no, that's, that's way from, back. That's previously. That's Black Jay's hat uh, era. Uh, the the muscle yeah, Jay. Um, uh, okay, Reese I'll, I'll, I'll narrow. Yeah. What'd you say, sir? Oh yeah, Reese McGuire. Reese that was McGuire. the one I was going to give uh, you a hint on. Yep. Um, beautiful eyebrows. Oh, Does that help at all? Beautiful eyebrows. Uh, couldn't hit at all. He's actually started the second most games a catcher since then. Couldn't hit. That's unfortunately that describes a lot of Blue Jays catchers. Yes. But that's uh, why they've had fourteen over the last uh, little bit. Yeah. Um, oh, geez, I don't know. Beautiful eyebrows. Luke Maley is the one I'm trying oh, to give you. Of course, the, yeah. The yeah, hint sure. on there, and then I'll just read you these last few because I don't, I don't think you'll get many of them. Uh, Miguel Montero caught 27 oh, games. Yeah. Rafael yeah, from the Lo- Cubs, they got him. Rafael Lopez. Riley Adams had that that cup of coffee last year. Okay. Tyler Heineman, obviously with those nine memorable games earlier this year mm-hmm. before the Pirates claimed him off waivers. Yeah. Uh, here's one I had forgotten about, but remember well. Jared Saltalamacchia. Oh, sure. One for 23 as a Blue Jay. His, uh, uh, his last name is actually longer on the jersey than mine was when Axe brought them. <laughs> But it's <laughs> uh, last three here. Uh, Caleb Joseph, who's now a part of uh, oh, yeah. our Sportsnet broadcasts sometimes. He was kind of like the taxi squad catcher. Uh, Mike Olman played six games for the team. And then this is the one that I have just no memory of whatsoever. In 2019, Bo Taylor played two games behind the plate uh, for the Jays. Sure. Sure. This so is, this is David David Roth level of guys remembering. Yeah, I don't even know. I'm gonna have David Roth on here sometimes, sometime, and we're gonna remember a lot of old Jays. Um, but yeah, pretty remarkable to look back on that 2015 2016 uh, set of teams and just how much stability there was a catcher where you know you have three, so you can withstand an injury and you can have a you know personal catcher on there. And I don't know, Steve. Uh, I, I know. You like hearing about the prospects sometimes. Maybe there's a reason a three-catcher setup is is in my mind right now with Kirk and Jansen hitting so mm-hmm. well and Gabriel Moreno uh, potentially on the way. I wonder if you'll get any Buffalo Road games while you're bouncing around small-town U.S. minor league parks. Oh, yeah. I'm not. We finished the tour in Buffalo, but I, I haven't actually looked to see um, if the Bisons are in town uh, like uh, in a couple weeks, um, but that would be fun. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, who knows? I I'm excited. It, it's, it, it does feel like, uh, like the team's starting to kind of, uh, trend with the weather, both, both getting warmer. 
Yeah, five in a row, man. Um, okay, I have to ask you really quickly before I let you go here, and I don't, I don't want to put Len on blast too much, but you got. <laughs> I think he's listening. You so got to share your dad's wild theory about what the Jays secretly did to the Rogers Center right. over the couple of years where they weren't here. Now, I think, I think largely this is is because um, you know, for a lot of us, we haven't been back to the ballpark uh, in a while, but but for a while there and I had, and, and I did, as my dad asked, reached out to you, Blake, <laughs> uh, to, to see, uh, he, he was like, the, the seats feel smaller. The seats in the dome feel smaller. And, uh, I don't know. I actually haven't been able to get back, um, uh, for a game yet. Um, so, so I'll leave it to you and your listeners to do, to do some, some homework for, uh, for my dad, but, <laughs> but, you know, maybe, maybe it's possible. Maybe we're, we're getting a few more butts in there just by kind of making it a little bit more One narrow. One extra seat per row. Exactly. Just shaved the seats down a little bit. Look, we've all put, I, I don't know about Len, but I've put on a couple pounds over the course of the pandemic. I would love to blame that on smaller seats. So I'm all for. Well, we can, yeah, we can do that. But look, I, I'm, you're, you're on a Sportsnet radio show right now. I work for Rogers. I'm, I'm covering this up. This goes all the way to the top. The, the getting, getting like 40 more seats in the arena, uh, in the stadium, um, <laughs> secretly is, uh, is not worth the squeeze. I don't think, uh, Steve Sladkowski of pup, the band. Thanks so much for coming on this morning. Thanks so much for making our, uh, intro music that you'll hear here in three minutes or so. As we say goodbye, uh, have a great time on tour, man. If anyone's looking to see you guys, Peterborough on Tuesday, Kingston on Wednesday, and then bouncing all over the place and back this way in July for Kitabala and a St. Kitts show with Alexis on fire that I'm really excited for on that July long weekend. Uh, thanks again, buddy. And have a safe trip on tour. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry that I'm not named Ben, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh it's, it's, I'm doing what I can and, and I'm, I'm so excited to see uh, how the show evolves. Hopefully you get to the uh, bottom of, of the seat conspiracy. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll Days like today when there's not a game. Uh, Steve, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Take care. Uh, that was Steve Slatkowski, guitarist for Pup the Band. Um, thank you to him for coming on. Thank you to Ben Nicholson-Smith and Ben Schulman coming on earlier. Um, and, hey, little introduction slash thank you at the same time. Uh, this show is being produced by J.R. Monitad and uh, Derek Brandeo on the board. So thank you to those guys. Um, and looking forward to working with them over this next little bit. Again, this segment here of the show, this last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so, is normally going to be teeing up the Knights games. But the Jays aren't playing. They deserve an off day. They've won five in a row. They did well enough to, hey, get a, a Blue Jays Talk Plus show. Uh, but they do have the day off. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with a pretty loaded lineup. We'll talk to Chris Black, who we mentioned a little earlier. He's a producer for SportsCent, has a lot of great uh, analytics and video-based Twitter threads about the Jays. We'll talk to Jelani Morgan of West End Phoenix, who's doing a season-long photo essay uh, about the diversity among the fan base and in the sport of baseball. We'll talk to my guy, Eno Saris from The Athletic about pitch grips. Gosman's on the mound tomorrow, so a good time to talk about that Vulcan splitter grip. And we'll have Mike Petriello on from MLB.com, uh, who you know well from the Jays TV broadcast. So loaded lineup tomorrow, and boy, what a... Not only did the Jays come into the debut of the show with five straight wins, but the first game we'll tee up is Kevin Gosman against Lucas Giolito. Uh, very excited for this White Sox series, even without Tim Anderson in town. Uh, that's tomorrow. 
If you only caught a part of this or you want to catch more of it, uh, it's under the Blue Jays Talk banner wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back 3 to 5 every afternoon, uh, every weekday afternoon that the Jays don't play anyway. They do have a game Thursday afternoon this week, uh, which, hey, take off work a little early. Get down to Rogers Center. Um, thanks so much for listening along. Thanks again to JR and Derek, uh, the Bens, and Steve for being our guests today. Uh, and thanks for uh, feeling this out with me. First show, think it went okay, feel okay about it. We'll be back tomorrow uh, even better, and we'll have baseball to Tia. This has been Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.